All right, back here on the Sports Grind, Calvin Casey, Jonas Clark, producing Spin the One and Twos. We are broadcasting here from the Maestro de Bell Tequila Studios. 877-37-GRIND is your number to participate. Um, yeah, a little eight mile for Detroit, huh? OM. So, yeah, they, you know, they're, they're kind of being one of those stigma of losing franchises that are trying to change the narrative of that, and they're very close to doing that. Uh, before we dive into that, let's go back to some of the reaction on Facebook Live. Who do we have up next after Mr. Uh, Terry? that Matthew? Um, let's see here. Um, Wolverine, same dominant team week in and week out. Barring injuries, Ravens got it, got it in the bag. Salami stamp it. Um, he called his Michigan Wolverines right. He said it was going to be... Um, a blowout with Matthew called that one right. Um, I, I think this. he's more or less saying the Ravens are the Wolverines. Well, yeah, he's still calling his shot, though. He's saying it's in the bag. I mean, he, he's thinking that it's all for sort of in the bag. So that's what I'm saying. He called his shot the same way he said on Michigan toward the national championship game. I mean, again, again there's a hardball effect there. Uh, Matthew's not fooling me. So I know there's some alliance to the Ravens due to the fact the uh, coach hardball with Michigan. Um, look, I mean, they have been the, you know, most consistent, you know, throughout the year, <clears throat> you know, with them as dominant they've been. Um, but, you know, I still say that they went through their stretch a couple of weeks as well, too. Uh, everybody, I think, this year went through a stretch of where it was kind of like, uh, I don't know, you know, some worse than others. Um, but, you know, before we talk about that particular game, uh, speaking of Kansas City and Baltimore, we got all week to break that down. Um, I want to switch gears back to talk about the Detroit um, Lions and that Tampa Bay game because Detroit is punching their ticket to go to the uh, NFC Championship game. What do you have? And did you know that that, again, so the year, 33 years, 1991, it's come up three times this weekend. Hmm. First, the amateur winning the Pro Tour event. Okay. All right. Second... Was it was the thirty third thirty three years after wide right and you have another wide right okay and then now you've got the Detroit Lions and then NFC Championship game thirty three okay. years ago so what do you tell what are people like you that basically pay attention to all those things what are y'all telling the world's about to end or what well I don't know that the world's oh, okay. about to end but it, it, it's one of those times that, uh, I like to use a phrase at this time where time is a flat circle what goes around comes around. Yeah, I call it law averages, coincidental, but I get you. It's a nice fun fact. Um, But if you look at that game, uh, Detroit was able to be victorious and protect. They got two games at home at Ford Field, and they were able to protect this house, per se. Uh, But they were victorious over the Tampa Bay Bucks. Uh, They won that game uh, 31-23. to Um, And if you look at that um, particular game, look, you know, Dan Campbell – uh, you got to give a lot of credit to Dan Campbell and the general manager and the front office who from day one of the press conference really pretty much told you how they were going to build this team and what they were going to do about toughness. It represents the uh, city of Detroit, the blue collar town. I know you've heard this before, but it's true. Um, and they are gritty and they play tough. And, and you low look, I mean, Jared Goff, Again, was a quarterback that his head coach and general manager, the franchise who drafted him number one overall, 
now, granted, before this regime got there, but still told him that he was no good for them anymore, even after leading them to an NFC championship game and a Super Bowl appearance. So definitely, you know, gratifying, I think, for golf. It's a life lesson, as everybody says, for everybody, uh, you know, never to give up, to believe in what your capabilities are, all the nice cliche things we use. Uh, but if you just look at how emotional Dan Campbell got in the post game, um, that's just real. Like, and, and I think in NFL, when you're dealing with some with millionaires, and you're dealing with a brutal sport, and you're dealing with guys that have played football, organized team football from the time that they were most likely from Pop Warner to middle school to high school to college, you've heard a lot of coach speak. You know, and, and, you know, every everything's different, though. You know, every coach has a different personality. And so when you have to be guys can and especially millionaire athletes in football can basically tell when a coach is not being authentic and they're not real. And I think Dan Campbell and his personality and him being authentic is exactly the reason why Detroit is here and they play hard for him, regardless of the adversity they faced. I mean, because look at this particular game. I mean, Tampa Bay came to play. I mean, their defense came to play. Um, You know, this game was also tied at halftime. Uh, you know, going into halftime, I mean, Tampa Bay answered the call toward the end of the right before half at the end of the first quarter with scoring drives. So they were in it. I just think to personally Detroit's defense, uh, which is looked they, like I said it last week in the month of November, late October to early November, they were trash. Their defense was getting diced up and you could tell, I mean, Baker threw for 300 some yards against their defense. But when their defense needed to step up, um, to make some plays, that's what they did uh, to close the game out. Um, I think, you know, I, I said it too, you know, with the running back with Gibbs. I mean, you know, when they drafted him, there was some criticism for them taking, based off of what their running backs looked like last year, there was some pushbacks on using a first-round pick on him, and it's paid dividends, and he looks, I mean, he's a difference maker, you know, on that team. You know, I know the receiver gets a lot of attention, rightfully so, uh, but Gibbs is just a joker, man. He's a wild card out of the back of, backfield, and you can't substitute for speed. On the losing th- side with Tampa, I think um, – at the time, you know, like I said, Baker had a heck of a season. Um, you know, my thing is going to be interested. You know, I know Todd Bowles, you know, said that he wanted him back. He wanted him to lead the franchise. Um, to me, what's going to be interesting is what kind of commitment is that at, though, uh, for him? Because I think toward the end of the game, you kind of saw what Baker's limitations are, though, up to this point. I mean, because there was a couple turnovers and interceptions that he had. The last one was just a bad read. On his part, I mean, you can't, you know, you getting the ball back down one possession, one score game, you've got to live to fight another day. Um, but I think overall, um, you have to take it at his word. He said he's the most comfortable he's been with any franchise that he's been in the NFL, speaking of Baker. Um, you know, Baker at the same time while Todd Bowles is lobbying for him, he's like, yeah, but he's lobbying for Mike Evans. And as far as I'm concerned, you know, Mike Evans said, hey, I've said it enough that I like being here. To me, you know, the general manager in the front office sitting there saying, hey, well, we would love to have Mike Evans out. Well, at this point, I would be very surprised if Mike Evans returns to Tampa because I've been following this off and on from afar, and they've been talking about a new deal for Mike Evans for the last two years, two and a half years. Uh, 
And, you know, I understand, you know, they went all in and put a lot of chips into Tom Brady. They had $80 million in dead cap money coming into this year, which basically played a factor why they couldn't maybe sign Mike Evans uh, or give him an extension. But, again, they wasn't always in cap hell coming into this season. Like I said, they've been working on this deal for two years. So I think that right there is – you know, something to watch out for, because, I mean, I do believe there's a good chance that Mike Evans might end up in a different uniform, but we'll see. In regards to the game-wise with Todd Bowles, and I know people today are being critical of him not calling the timeouts toward the end, like conceding. Um, I, to me, I have another criticism I, that's more than that to me, and that's the fact that Todd Bowles fired their other coordinator and went and got this coordinator because he needed somebody to be more a little bit conservative considering he was a defensive-minded coach. He trusted his defense, wanted to fill position. He's not like a risk taker. Um, there was a couple of times in that game in the first half where he eluded a fourth and two, fourth and three, fourth and one not to go for it and punt it. That's his DNA. That's as, as Todd Bowles when he was with the Jets. Uh, for the few times, that's just who he is. So when Tampa Bay goes and they score to bring it within a touchdown, Todd Bowles lets the offensive coordinator at the time and doesn't overrule to go for a two-point conversion. And people are going to sit there and look at, oh, it should have been a call on Evans. That should have been, but it wasn't. And my point is, and I, you know, I heard it, you know, basically over the broadcast about, well, you know, the analytics show you that if you go here and you convert that two, that gives you a 60% chance of winning. I'm about situational football, the time of year, the place and when and where and how, where you're at. And even though that particular play, you go, I mean, you score a touchdown. So if you convert the two-point conversion, you're going to be down by what? Let's say six or five at the time. If you, if, if you go and just kick the field goal and bring in to one scored seven, what's wrong with that? Because and let me explain to you why. Because the way I look at it, whether it's just a two-point conversion, a goal line stand, a fourth and two, a fourth and inches, a fake punt, which we didn't even get to that in Buffalo. That was just ridiculous. I don't care if the look was right and there was only 10 men on the field. To kind of call that call at a fake punt at that point in the game was just asinine, Consider it's a post, especially how tight that game was. But back to Detroit and the reason why I say this. It's called momentum plays. Like killing momentum plays. Like you're on the road in Detroit. So you just pretty much made everybody nervous. This is the franchise. This is one of those franchises that's waiting for something bad to happen. Oh, here we go. We're the Lions. We're about to piss this away. Baker goes down on the drive. He answers it. He gets you get in there. Kick the field goal to be with seven. Because now that you go and try to go for two points, because if you went down by eight, I mean, it would have been a one-score game. You go for the two points. They don't call the penalty on Mike Evans. There's no go. Now you've given that crowd of 80,000, 70,000 another reason to cheer or be excited about it. It's momentum-killing type of stuff. Like, why would you give? Like, you have the momentum. It's about to be butt cheeks about to be tight. It's about to be down for seven. And this coach, out of all coaches, I thought it was going to be like in a Scooby-Doo episode where I was going to pull a head back and it was going to be like, you know, the coach, uh, you know, damn near the Chargers. Like, why are you going in for two points? Like, you've been conservative your whole career and you've been conservative pretty much this whole game. And just because there's an analytic chart that says, well, if you know, if the score is here and you convert this, 
It's going to actually give you a 60% chance to work. That was dumb. That was dumb. It didn't know. The reason why nobody's talking about it today and it's not that big of a story is because in the hindsight of things, it wasn't that impactful in regards to they still got a last possession to come back. They were going to need eight points. They were going to need to score in a two point conversion again. But that way you're chasing. And that's another element and factor to my take. If you don't get it like they did, you're chasing it. I thought that was dumb. I, I really did. I, I, I think I'm more critical and I love Todd Bowles, but I'm more critical of that than him saving on the timeouts. I know the way that looks. Maybe he looked at it like, hey, man, we're, if they kick this, the field goal is not going to be. We're not coming from that. People can look at that the way they want to. That's fine. They say, what are you going to do? They can't carry over to the next season. Call the timeouts. I'm going to go for getting out of character. That's more of a problem today with Todd Bowles, in my opinion, is him getting out of character and trying to go for a two-point conversion that he did not have to. You did not have to. All you did is give them a positive like. Excuse me, like, hey, we stopped him, and the crowd gets in a frenzy, and there you go again. But, again, man, even as a, even Todd's been in this league a long time. He's been a heck of a defensive coordinator. Um, I got a lot of respect for Todd, but he still, and this is his second chance as a head coaching job, but he still haven't had that many years in that situation and basically being a head coach to where you have to make decisions that there's the stuff, stuff you have to learn and go through as you go through. So props to Detroit, though. They're moving on. Uh, Tampa, I think, had a heck of a season. Nobody had them in the divisional round game. So to me, the thing with them is the seeing what's going to happen with Mike Evans and what kind of commitment are they really going to make for Baker Mayfield? How much is that commitment going to be and how much do you really want to go ahead and pay him uh, at that particular spot? 877-37-GRIND. All right, keeping it moving. So let's go to the team that the Detroit Lions are going to be playing, and that's the 49ers who took care of a business on what I thought was an exciting game probably the best game of the weekend in my opinion um, and that is the 49ers taking care of the Green Bay Packers and holding on to defeat them uh, this weekend um, 24 to 21 uh, which had elements, the rain. I mean, that looked like one of those old Green Bay 49er 90 type of rivalry. We're going to talk about 91. It's a 90 type of rivalry game. The rain was coming down. Um, and Green Bay went toe-to-toe -to -toe with them. You know, this is one of those where I take from this. Uh, Brock Purdy got a lot of criticism uh, through a bad stretch of football he played this year. Yes, the 49ers as well went through their three-week uh, bad type of football being played. Now, theirs was due to the fact they had some key guys out in injuries. But Brock took a lot of, you know, criticism at that time saying, hey, you look, why are we talking MVP category, you know, with this guy when basically without Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey, he can't get it done. Well, he had a trip to the NFC championship game on the line and he got it done for the most part without his number one receiver, Debo Samuel. Uh, and make no mistake about it, he still had Christian McCaffrey there, which was a th stud that was steady running the ball hard like he's always been. Um, everybody and their mama knows what's coming, but it's hard to stop it because it's schemed up so good by Kyle. But I will just tell you that Brock deserves some credit because he made some big throws. And let me tell you, that is a timing offense. It is a timing type of offense, and it's in, and it has key guys at key skill positions. And if one, all it takes is one of them to go out. Whether that be Trent Williams, the left tackle, the best in the game, whether that be Debo, whether that be Chris McCaffrey, whatever the case, Ayuk, if they if one guy goes out 
And that particular offense, it's going to look different and it's going to cause some problems. And that's what happened. Uh, Debo, I think this is the same type of injury that he suffered like early on in the season. I think it cost him like two weeks and he came back. Uh, but Brock was able to get it done, and the defense made some stops when they had to. Was able to pick, you know, Jordan Love off on the last play, even though the teams tell him get out, get out. You know, it's a wet night. You know, somebody come and tackle. Next thing you know, you get Green Bay new life. Uh, but I think it's an experience and learning experience from Jordan Love. I think you know, to me, I said it last week, and I've been saying it. Green Bay is going to be a problem. Over the next few years, they're going to be the one franchise. They're the next franchise in line that's about to have. And they always had. I don't want to make it seem like they never had continuity and stability. They have. That's the Packers. But this they're they're about to have some continuity and stability in youth from their head coach to their quarterback to their receiving core and some of their guys on defense. They had a heck of a season. They got hot late. And I think that comes where they started getting mature that, you know, again, Jordan Love and, you know, LaFleur gets the custom of him calling plays for him. What is he like? What's his tendencies? And they came within a field goal short of pretty much going, at least putting that game in the overtime and maybe a quarter short from going to the NFC Championship game um, under LaFleur in Jordan Love's first year. So heck of a season for the Packers under the circumstances. Uh, but the 49ers move on. And we, like I said, we've got all week to talk about that matchup. That's that's uh, There's a lot of skilled talent that's going to be on that particular field that day with that game, Detroit and the 49ers. You listen to the Sports Grind. Today's show is being presented by Dos Equis. Get a Dose. We are broadcasting here from the Maestro de Bell Tequila Studios. Calvin Casey, Jonas Clark, producer, spin the one and twos. We'll be back. Texas summers can get hot, but now they're blazing with the new Zing Zang Blazing Bloody Mary Mix. The latest addition to the Zing Zang lineup brings the same great, bold, and delicious taste that you already know, only much hotter. Shake things up with Zing Zang Blazing Bloody Mary Mix, made with premium ingredients and crafted for a bold and savory taste, whether with your favorite vodka or with the pre-mixed ready-to-drink cans. Zing Zang, America's favorite Bloody Mary and an official sponsor of the sports grind. Please Zing Zang responsibly. For more than a century, the Pendleton Roundup has defined what it means to be a cowboy. It also gave life to something equally renowned, Pendleton Whiskey, capturing that unique spirit in every bottle and honoring the enduring legacy of the American West. Pendleton Whiskey is made with the finest northern grains and cut with Mount Hood Glacier water, a whiskey that celebrates the cowboy in all of us. That's Pendleton Whiskey. That's true Western tradition. Pendleton is the official whiskey of the PBR Tour. Pendleton Distillers, Lawrenceburg, Indiana. Please drink responsibly. Pendleton Whiskey, official sponsor of the sports grind are you moving around the greater san antonio area choose the storage experts tiger moving and storage whether you're moving an office or the whole family tiger moving and storage offers container drop-off and delivery with efficient prompt and cost-effective service to learn more and to secure your portable storage container today go to choose tiger.com tiger moving and storage official sponsor of the sports grind Mama told me, ay, not to sell work Mama, 17, 5, same color t-shirt White Mama told me, ay, not to sell work Mama, 17, 5, same color t-shirt Yeah, yo, yo, pop it, what up? 
All right, back here on the Sports Grind, Calvin Casey, Jonas Clark producing, spinning the one and twos. We are broadcasting here from the Maestro DeBell Tequila Studios, and this next segment is going to be sponsored by Pinland Whiskey. Pinland Whiskey is an oak barrel-aged whiskey distilled in Canada using the finest ingredients before bottling glacier-fed spring waters added from Mount Hood, Oregon's highest peak. Pinland Whiskey delivers an uncommonly smooth taste and rich, complex flavor. And keep in mind, Pinland Whiskey is the official spirit of the Pro Rodeo Cowboy Association and its official whiskey of the professional bull riding tour which is the pbr velocity tour and it's an official whiskey of the sports grind eight seven seven three seven grind all right um so yeah so i think you know the 49ers um they did what they had to do and i think brock purdy deserves some credit because uh pressure was on there uh, especially in the fourth quarter and knowing debo went out of the game and didn't come back he was some throws that he made uh, and showed some poise in the pocket um you know it's going to be an end like i said going to the break there's going to be a lot of you know a lot of people now that i think about it you know there's a narrative you're going to hear a lot this week in this matchup and it's that these are like two mirror image teams the way they're built and uh, I've had some time to think about that a little bit uh, which I can see why people are saying that to a certain extent um, because if you look at the skill positions I mean their wide receiver you know is very elite speaking of Detroit uh, they're number one and then you look at Debo if you look at the tight ends you look at the running backs um, it's and, and they're both tough and they're physical now I think you know, the linebacker core at 49ers, um, kind of where you start to separate, you know, them a little bit. I, I think for a fa- I think for sure I would take 49ers defense over Detroit's. But if you look at Hutchison and then you look at Bosa, you see what I'm saying? If you start going to each one of those, it's not it's basically not a lopsided matchup on paper. Um, it's gonna be played in Levi Stadium. Um, but I will just say we've got all week to break that down. Uh, but definitely uh, props to Brock Purdy and the uh, 49ers for doing what they could to hang on and win that. And for Green Bay, like I said, man, hats off to him. And, and I'm just kind of – I mean, I'm not a big, big fan of his, but I am kind of happy for LaFleur because he got a chance to prove that, you know, I'm a good coach. Um, it's not just about Aaron Rodgers. And technically we didn't even run my offense all the way the way I wanted to run it because of Aaron Rodgers. Um, because I'll tell you one thing, can you imagine? Cause I was, it crossed my mind while I was watching the game in regards to what look would that have been for Aaron Rodgers for them to get back to the NFC championship game without him. And even the possibility if they would have punched their ticket in first, but I think either way it, it's killed one bullet, you know, it's took one to the dome and killed the theory of Aaron didn't have enough weapons at Green Bay or he they never gave him his receipt. I always thought that was a bunch of baloney and BS. The fact that, nah, that was a narrative that Aaron and his people put out. Green Bay did right by him. He just didn't get it done. He just he couldn't get it done and get over that hump to get back to the Super Bowl and win one without Mike McCarthy and a top five defense. But Green Bay's definitely going in the right direction. So there you have it. You've got the final four set. Uh, you've got Detroit that's going to be traveling to San Fran to take on them. Um, last time I checked, and we'll take a look at it Wednesday to see where we're at, but I know at some spots that open up at 49 or 7, uh, some 6.5 at some spots. It's going to be some movement on that. It could be. I don't see a drop in lower 
uh, than sixth before kickoff, uh, but or either you know maybe getting bet back up to seven. But there's definitely some early uh, action coming in on Detroit, and then you have the AFC Championship game between the Baltimore Ravens uh, that will be hosting the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, with they'll continue to be on the road, and Patrick will be playing in his first AFC Championship game um, outside of Arrowhead. And the last time I checked on that, Baltimore was opening at a field goal favorite at home. Uh, against Kansas City. What do you got? I'm seeing it now. Three and a half. Three and a half. Um, yeah. I I could see it going. That'll fluctuate between three and four by the time. I don't see it getting up more than four um, because there will be a lot of liability for the books out in Vegas. They're going to have to try to keep that. Because if you go too hot, because you can't, you know, because some people would have this, you know, guys, professional handicappers would look at this and say, hey, you know, um, in my power books or my power caps, I would technically have the Ravens still a five and a half or six point favorite over Kansas City. The problem is that the line setters in Vegas, if they set this line at Baltimore minus six, there would be too much liability and they would get hammered. All the money would be on Kansas City because you because even the in, in Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes, he's a public. He's not on the level of the Cowboys or Yankees or Lakers. I tell you about, but he's a public betted uh, individual type of quarterback that most of the public is going to ride with him and, and, you know, fade the other team when you have Patrick. So. I don't see that getting any higher uh, than maybe four, and I damn sure don't see it getting probably, if anything, it would drop down to three or maybe even two and a half before kickoff. But that'll give you – because I guarantee you could find some people out there and really Baltimore at home, the way they've been, and you look at, you know, the average of victory for their last, what, I don't know, six, seven home games they played, you can make arguments that they could be at least a six-point favorite in this particular game. But there's just no way that the line setters are going to make that line because they'll get killed. All the action will come in on Kansas City side. And if Kansas City would win, even if they didn't win, they could cover that. They would get crushed. 877-37 grind. So we'll look at the midline report on Wednesday to see how that's going on. Um, other off-the-field NFL news, um, as we go back to uh, Facebook Live, uh, and we've got Adam Martinez that is checking in with us. And Adam says, Calvin, I hope that Quinn leaves and boys promote Al Harris to D.C. Your thoughts? Um, Adam, the, the I don't know if you listened to last week's shows, if any of them, um, but to me, when you're talking about Dan Quinn staying or Dan Quinn going, which I don't, you know, to me, I believe he's going to stay because I don't believe he's going to get a job um, at either one of these vacancies. I really don't. I mean, he's already got some interviews. Um, you know, I know there was speculation of basically about maybe a return to Seattle. Now I'm hearing Vrabel name heating up in regard to the Seahawks. So what I said last week, Adam, is I think that, my, um, you know, Dan Quinn is going to return by default, uh, which might not be a bad thing. But I just feel when you look at what's going on with the Dallas Cowboys and you look at, you know, we're not even technically in the offseason yet. And you look what's transpiring and what's trending today. Um, this is bigger. It, the, the, the coordinator position, Adam, is minute. Whether they go get Al Harris or they stick with Dan Quinn. 
Dallas has a culture problem. And I and, and I know that's cliche and the people are tired of hearing it. The Dallas fans are tired of it, but it's the truth. And when you look at a situation, what has transpired over the weekend, number one, let's start with Mike McCarthy, the head coach. So he survived. We had news last week that there was going to be no changes, that Dow, that Jerry was going to retain Mike McCarthy, and he was going to go ahead and lead the Dallas Cowboys in the 2024 season. Then all of a sudden, in the last 20 to 48 hours, it is leaked out that he's not going to get a contract extension, but he's going to coach in the final year of the last year of his contract. And what I have to say to that is this. Why? Like, if, if, you, if you're going to bring him back, and this is solely on the fact of, uh, you know, because I part of this feels that, Jerry has looked at other examples, has fooled himself in the, this, the decision of letting him come back for a fourth year based off of other examples. He's looking at, well, hey, imagine if they would have hired, you know, we gave out the Dan Campbell situation. And maybe that's where he's looking at that. Say, like, well, look at Dan start off 0-6. They thought they were going to go. I mean, he started off almost about to repeat history and go 0 for 17. Then he starts the next season and he starts 0 for 6. And then they go. So maybe he's looking at that that convinced himself not to make a change with Mike McCarthy whatever but why bring why let that out that he's going to pretty much be a lame duck coach next season and he's not going to coach with the new country you could have gave him a two-year extension and just made it seem like it's a year-to-year situation but to let the players and to let everybody know that Mike McCarthy is going to be coaching in 2024 in the final year of his contract, with no extension of contract offer on the table for an extension, which is a prove it, this is your last chance to prove it type of season, how much respect is he really going to keep in that locker room? You know, I heard Teddy Bruschi on NFL Countdown yesterday morning talking about a similar situation because, you know, Rex was taking a stand and I know Rex is from the fraternity and he's been a coach and he's been fired a couple of times. So Rex knows what that feels like because he was defending like, why would you fire this guy? Why are you? But, you know, Teddy was pushing back because he said, look, first of all, I've been in that situation. He goes, I was in Pete Carroll's last year with New England before Bill was hired. And everybody knew that Pete Carroll was had an expiring contract. And he said, all of a sudden, when you get to the middle of the season, Pete Carroll started acting like he knew he wasn't going to be there. So that's number one, Adam Martinez, when we talk about the problem and we talk about, well, is it Dan Quinn or Harris? It don't really matter with either one of those two because the main problem is the guy who owns the team and writes the checks on the way he wants to run this football operations and has it set up. So that's example number one of the culture problem. Example number two. So I guess, you know, I'm not on social media that much. You'll all know that. Um, But I guess over the weekend, you've had some fireworks on social media in regards to the Dallas Cowboys and a few of their players and their family. And we can start with Dak and his brother because his brother he he was front and center doing negotiate the first type of negotiations they went through in Dallas. He was very vocal on that. Uh, he was very vocal and supportive in regards to that coming off the injury when he had the gruesome a gruesome ankle injury. 
and he's just been a vocal guy, Dak's brother. And so, therefore, Dak's brother goes to social media and makes reference to Dallas Cowboy fans and talking about, hey, I can't wait till Dak gets out of here either because of you Dallas and paraphrase him a little bit. Okay. Then you have Michael Parsons who basically challenges and is very critical of Dallas's fan base. And you got Michael Parsons, I think was this his brother? I think it was. Uh, you have somebody with Michael Parsons tweeted like, y'all going to miss Michael when he's no longer here. And then I'm hearing C.D. Lamb's mom jumped in, and I don't know exactly what she said. I don't have her tweets or her quotes, but she even questioned her son there because of not knowing if Dax did. Now, look at this. You have, th this isn't, th to put this in perspective, this isn't um, a special teams guy. This isn't, you know, a second or third wide receiver that his brother is getting into it with Dallas fans on social media. These are these are family members of the three leaders on this team. Well, two of them for sure. Dak Prescott and Michael Parsons. And then you have the best wide receiver and his mom questioning publicly the quarterback is Dak the guy whatever. This is bad. It's just bad. And there's no repercussions from this, from Jerry, from Steven, from Mike. I mean, what unity, and I understand you're still dealing with raw emotions and disappointment of the season, but this is one thing I've always subscribed to and preached. And especially when you are in the big markets, which Dallas is a decent market, and you know that is the Cowboys. But when you play in Boston, when you play in Philly, okay, when you play in New York, the one thing you're not going to win as a professional athlete or a family member of a professional athlete, you're not going to win a battle against the fans. Especially Cowboy Nation, which is basically a quote-unquote America's team. And they're divided and split in down the middle within their own fan base. So if you, and that to me shows exact, the way they're acting on social media. This is exactly what jumped out of the screen with me a week ago against the Green Bay Packers. Pressure, uptight, and hearing all the noise and thinking about, can you imagine if we lose this game? They came out and they played the whole game like that. They coached like that. That's culture. Like, you're too busy trying to win an argument on social media with Dallas fans and the media than you are really figuring out, like, what is, what is wrong? What do we need to do to get over the hump. And that's the reason why Adam Martinez. I tell you. Whether it's Al Harris. Or Dan Quinn. It don't matter. It don't matter. They're going to run it back with the same leadership. The same position. And then I'm hearing that basically. They're talking about wanting to maybe talk about contract extension with Dak. But you don't want to. Like just for a. Like a boot of confidence. You don't want to try to. You're going to let Mike McCarthy go into the last year as a lame duck coach. If that's the case. You should have just pulled off the band-aid now. With all these candidates. The type of candidates that were available. But that's the reason why I told Jonas this last week or two weeks. That's why I continue to. Jerry. This is the worst 
timing of all because it proved a big chunk of those cowboy fans that have subscribed to the fact that nothing is changing as long as Jerry Jones runs the team. He just showed you that by not even trying to go get in. The Atlanta Falcons have interviewed Bill Belichick twice, and I'm hearing that they're going to get a second interview with Harbaugh. The Atlanta Falcons, Arthur Blank, don't have a Super Bowl trophy in their franchise history. Only, I think, one Super Bowl appearance. And this guy is basically trying to do whatever to bring the right guy in, the best candidates available. Okay? The Chargers. Cheap family. I've been telling you this. The Spano family. Look at who they're interviewing or trying to interview. But the Dallas Cowboys that is supposed to have this talented roster, so talented of a roster, on the cusp, we, 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 we're, we're there to kick down the doors to get to the Super Bowl. They have front office people led by their ownership that wants to run it back. And you have a culture where not your, not your special teams people, not your practice squad guys, not your backups, your star captains and leaders of the team, family members, and them participating as well is having a all-out social media, Twitter beef, back-and-forth war against Cowboy fans and even throwing shade at Dak. How do you win with that? All of a sudden, do you mean to tell me that that goes away by the time you show up for OTAs in May and June, late April, May and June, off-season OTAs involved? That just goes away. That mentality and that type of culture just goes away. No, not if it's the same. Not if it's the same regime that's leading the charge. It doesn't. Eight seven seven three seven grind. Um. Let's see. Shelby T. James is checking in. Says Cal, since you're taking Cal, since you're talking Cowboys, I've been reading a few articles comparing Dak to Romo as far as playoff stats. Your take would be much appreciated. Um, I, I think Dak. I've said this before. I think Dak still is a lot further along than what Tony Romo was at Tony's stage of this career. I think the problem with Tony Romo, Shelby, and I know you've, you've listened to the show a long time, so I know you heard me say this before. I think the problem with Tony Romo, he didn't start taking the game seriously until it was too late and his body already started to fail him. He was just enjoying the idea of being the starting quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys and all the perks that came along with that. You're listening to the Sports Grind. Today's show is being presented by Dos Equis. Get a Dose. We are broadcasting here from the Maestro DeBell Tequila Studios. Calvin Casey, Jonas Clark producing, spinning the one and twos. We'll be back. When life sounds too much like this. It's time to consider more of this. Sometimes a little shift is all you need. A dose of perspective. Dos Equis Lager. Get a dose. Enjoy Dos Equis responsibly. Copyright 2021. Imported by Cervezas Mexicanas, White Plains, New York. Maestro Dobel Tequila was born from 11 generations of tequila-making legacy. It is sourced from a single estate in the volcanic lowlands of Jalisco, Mexico, using the finest 100% blue agave. 
Double distilled and aged in European white oak barrels, Maestro Dobel's commitment to innovation isn't only to discover new ways of distilling and aging, it's about elevating and crafting a superior tequila that is the essence of mastery. Maestro Dobel is the official tequila of the PGA Tour and an official sponsor of the sports grind. Please drink responsibly. It's time to warm up that scoreboard and get ready to bring home the win with Specs. Specs has you covered with lower prices on all your favorite fan fuel. From craft beer, rare spirits, and world-class wine to chips, dips, and gourmet finer foods. And with same-day delivery when you order online or through the app, Specs is your MVP for the biggest score of the game. At Specs, the fun starts here. Here's to you, cheers to savings. Just because the sun is setting earlier doesn't mean the fun stops sooner. Now is the perfect time to get to Specs and stock up on after-summer savings with fresh new releases in every category. Specs has Texas' largest selection of lower-priced wines, craft cocktail ingredients, and beers that'll have you raising a glass to every sunset. The biggest savings of the season are at Specs. The fun starts here. Whether you're looking for a date night at the Dominion or a light meal while shopping on the weekend, stop by Thai Lao Orchid at the Dominion. Just five minutes north of the shopping center, Thai Lao Orchid's Vietnamese options are great for dinner or lunch, serving up staples from curry and noodles to the house special Nam and Seafood Lovers steamed clay pot. They're open weeknights from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. and noon till 9 on Saturdays and noon to 8 on Sundays. That's Thai Lao Orchid at the Dominion, official sponsor of the Sports Grind. 